Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today as your people. We ask that you'd speak to us through your word. May we hear from your word, and may we respond to it today. And we ask this in your Son's name, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. So this week we've reached, I think, probably the most important passage, or one of the most important passages in the New Testament. This is a passage that defines and explains our daily experience. It's a passage that gives us, remember, as we talk about Revelation, the behind-the-scenes glimpse. But this one's unlike any other passage in the New Testament. And also, it's a passage that helps us think Christianly. And that is the most important thing as Christians, is that we think and see the world in the way that we're taught to see it. And this passage helps us to see the world as Christians. And that helps us as we learn to follow the way of Jesus. And if we want to follow the way of Jesus, we must think Christianly. So if you want to take out your Bible and turn to Revelation chapter 12, we're going to continue this look at this book. This week we'll be looking at chapter 12 and 13. So if you want to turn there, if you have your Bible, or it will be on the screen. But let's take a look. So before we start, uh, just a reminder, we're picking up right where we left off last week at chapter 12, and last week we left off at chapter 11, and last week we looked at John's um, description of seven trumpets and seven seals, and these were uh, seals and trumpets of judgment. And now... We're going to take a look, starting with verse 12. So if we look up here at 12.1, this is how John starts. He says, A great sign appeared in heaven, and a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. So let's stop there. Before we keep going, we need to figure out what's going on. Because John transitions from these judgments to all of a sudden this story, and he says, I saw a sign. And then he begins to tell us what he saw. So what he's actually referencing here is an ancient story that we don't know about because it's not one of our stories. But it's an ancient story. And John is retelling this ancient story, but he's telling it with a theological perspective about how he wants the readers to hear the story. Now, there's many versions of this story, but the plot is more or less the same in the ancient culture. There's always a hero. There's always some sort of evil villain who's out to destroy the world. And usually, in these stories from the ancient world, that villain is a dragon. And in the end, the story is of the hero defeating the villain. And usually that means the the hero has the right to rule the world. And usually this is how the way this story was used is that ancient cultures would have a story about their God and their God was the one who defeated evil and had the right to rule over the world. So we think Rome had one of these stories. Now in Rome's story, their patron goddess, Roma, so this is the the one God who the Roman people 
believed gave them their ability to be the best people in the world at that time. It was the god Roma, and it was a female god. And they viewed her as the queen of the heavens. And this queen had given birth to a son who had defeated the dragon, and he had the right to rule the world because of that. And guess who that, who we think they believed that son was? That son was the emperor. So this is the story against which John tells, the story, tells this story. So let's go back and see as uh, he continues the story. Now, before we go, notice in 1 and 2, that's what we're seeing described here, where it says, A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and a crown of twelve stars on her head. She's being depicted as the queen of the heavens. And she's about to give birth. So this is what happens. Continuing with verse 3. And then another sign appeared in heaven. An enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten thorns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. So now we have the dragon come into the story. And the dragon wants to devour the child. So why is that? Let's keep going with verse 5. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who will rule the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness, to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. So let's stop there and gather what's going on. So the dragon's after the child because the child has the right to rule the nations. And that's what the dragon wants to do in the story. And also what this means is the, dragon, the child is born to defeat the dragon. So the dragon in the story is trying to devour the child at its birth so that the, the dragon cannot be defeated. So this is the story. Now let's keep going to verse 7. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, that ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. So the child is born. The dragon was not able to snatch the child before he was called up to his rightful place to rule the world. And when he arrived in the heavens, there's a divine war. So Michael, the archangel from Jewish tradition specifically from the book of Daniel, but then also in intertestamental literature that we uh, don't read, but it's uh, out there if you want to read it on the internet. So what now is happening is John is taking this, this ancient story, and then he's taking Jewish ideas, and he's putting them all together. And he's referencing this Jewish story and this ancient story, and he's bringing all of it together. And he talks about this ancient serpent called the devil, or now our Bibles say Satan, but uh, more accurately it would be the Satan, or the Satan. 
from the book of um, Job in the Old Testament. And this is the, the dragon who is defeated and he's thrown into the earth. Now there's some things to take a hold of. Now the dragon is referenced as the ancient serpent. So that for us should connect us to Genesis chapter 3. So this is the same character from Genesis 3 that pulls humans away from their allegiance to God. And he deceives them into believing that they should be their own gods and make their own decisions. This is the serpent. It's also, as I said, the Satan, the adversary, as he's become to be seen in the Jewish literature. The adversary of God. And this is the character who's working against God and his creation. So Satan, as we've come to call him in our culture, is the one leading the rebellion against God. And he attempts to gain followers. But as we see in this story, Satan has already lost. So there's some symbols now that we need to understand in the story. The woman, who as I said at the beginning is portrayed as the queen of heaven, she is most likely Israel. The nation that was supposed to be the holy nation that all the nations look to. And Israel gives birth to a chosen son who rules the world. Now this son is the Messiah, and as we as Christians and as the, the New Testament Christians confessed, was Jesus. He is the one who will return Israel to his glory. So Satan, knowing that there's someone coming who will help overthrow his authority in the world, he is ready to grasp this individual at this individual's birth and destroy him so that he's able to keep power. But when Jesus is born in the story, he is able to take his place of authority. Now here's the question. Now when does this happen that he takes his authority? Because some people will look at this and think this is a future-looking idea. They think it's a future thing that has to happen. But the story is trying to show us what's happening behind the scenes. Now the time when, when the powers of Satan was destroyed, was it Jesus' death resurrection, and then his return to heaven where he's seated at the right hand of God. At that moment, we believe and we confess as Christians that the powers of sin and death and the rebellion of Satan was overthrown. So this is more of a looking back at what happened when Jesus died and was resurrected and returned to the place with his father. So there's something to see about Jesus' victory. His victory was found in sacrifice. Now Satan thought that he won the victory because he was able to capture Jesus and have him murdered. So he thought the Son of Man, the Messiah, was killed. Because that's how Satan works. He works through power and authority and death and killing. And he thought, I've won the battle because I've had the Son of Man killed. But that's exactly what Jesus wanted him to do. Because remember, in the book of Revelation, Jesus is the slain lamb. He has the power of the line of Judah, but he takes that power as the slain lamb. 
So we see here the great turning of the tables behind the scenes. And the way that God chooses the work in the world is through sacrifice and what we see as weakness. Because we're following the dragon and his way of living. So victory is gained through sacrifice. So this is what happens with the dragon. Verse 13. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given the two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to a place prepared for her in the wilderness where she would be taken care of for a time, times a half a time, out of the serpent's reach. Then from this mouth the serpent spewed spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away with the torrent. But the earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river that the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. Then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commandments and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. So now we see what's going on today. Satan has not been done away with. He has been defeated, but he is allowed to roam the world in attempt to gain followers and attack the offspring of God, the woman. So these are the people who follow Jesus. These are the people that Satan is after. He's trying to take them away. So now we get a behind-the-scenes look at what's going on in the world. There's a battle going on right now. And what it is, is it's a battle for mine and for your allegiance. Satan wants to wage war and gain the allegiance. And when I say that, I mean they pledge their life and everything they care about to the cause of the dragon. That's what he's after. He wants all of you. And there's a war going on right now for the people of the world. And the dragon is trying to gain them as his followers. So now we need to think Christianly about this. We need to see the world through this lens that we're being presented with. Either we give our allegiance to God... Or we give our allegiance to Satan. We either follow the way of Jesus or we follow the way of the world. There's not a middle ground in the story. There's either one way or the other. And right here is the behind the scenes look. There is a battle going on for your allegiance. And then there's Jesus standing there saying, I've already done the work for you to follow me. If you'll just give me your allegiance and follow me and become a member of my people. So we see that this is what's happening, but how is it that Satan wages this war? If we continue with verse 13, this is when we begin to see how he does it. So this, I'm not verse 13, chapter 13, verse 1. 
So this is how he does it. So now what's going on is we're seeing now a look at how the dragon goes about waging war on the people of God. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw the beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads, and the ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like a lion. So let's take a look here at what's going on. So we're told that the, the, the dragon raises a beast out of the earth. Now, uh, it's from the sea. Now, this is probably a reference to Rome because for the, the people receiving this letter, Rome would have come from the east by sea. All right? Now, also, the beast is a hodgepodge of images from the book of Daniel. Specifically, in Daniel chapter 7, there's uh, four different animals described, and they're named as the four different kingdoms that rebel against God. So now we have this beast that is basically all four of them put together. The ultimate rebellion and, and leader and uh, the ultimate human uh, government against God. The humans coming together to form a rebellion following the dragon and rebelling against the way of God. And that's what we see described here. Let's keep looking. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne in great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon because of he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? Is there, is there a blank after that, Emerson? Okay. So this is where people start to look at this and then they start to get the idea of the, the Antichrist is the dragon and then there's these other beasts and we have to figure out who these people are. That's not what this is talking about. Look, the beast gives the, or the dragon is given, gives the beast power and with the power, the beast gains the worship of the world for the dragon. And also, the beast has survived the fatal wound. So we're seeing how this beast begins to look a lot like Jesus, right? Let's keep going, verse 5. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. It, opens its, it opened its mouth to blasphemy God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. It was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain for the creation of the world. Whoever has ears, let them hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is, to, is killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. 
Right, we read that, and then that's where people think, oh, this has got to be about some future tribulation, and there's going to be a battle, and people are going to die. But no, it's going on right now. The beast is given power to wage war against God's people. He is given authority to rule the nations of the world. And notice what happens. The people who do not follow Jesus are the ones who worship the beast. That is the way of the world. The dragon has set up the beast in the world to gain our allegiance to follow him. So what does that look like? It could be anything that pulls you away from following Jesus. The lies that you tell yourself. The things that you believe will make you feel better or make your life better. The ideologies that promise to fix the problems in the world. The lies that we're told about the people who we care about most and our fellow people who live with us in the world. Think about what's going on right now with all these political divides. Each side tries to tell us if the other side has power, it's the end of the world. They're trying to gain our allegiance so that we follow them and subscribe to their way of living because they have the answer. But there's only one answer, and it's the lamb. But this isn't the only beast. Look, verse 11, there's a second one. Then I saw a second beast coming out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. Another reference to Jesus. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf. And it performed great signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven and to the earth in full view of the people. Because of the sign, it was given power to perform on behalf of the first beast. It deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up image, an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that the image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to, to be killed. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or of the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of the man. A man. That number is 666. Now there's the thing everyone wants to know about. But notice, the second beast is coming. Now, who's the second beast? Now, remember, this is in a cultural context. The first beast is most likely the emperor who over, oversees all of Rome. Now, the second beast is the local leaders in the cities that these churches are located who are setting up the... Remember back to the first week we talked about the imperial... Um, cult in emperor worship. Remember I said if you wanted to exist in society in the first century in Rome, you had to participate in emperor worship because that was the only way that you were able to be recognized and accepted by your local citizens. It was viewed as patriotic. It was viewed as your part as a good Roman citizen. But it was how Rome gathered and kept people's allegiance and how they supported 
the empire and the emperor and followed him. So this second beast is a local authority who's basically promoting the worship of the emperor. Now notice that this beast looks like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. It was given the authority of the first beast, and it promoted the worship of the first beast. And also, it was, gave people a mark so that they could participate in the local economy. So right there, all that is first century. Hey, you want to be able to have commerce in our country? You want to be able to sell and be a part of the local blacksmith guild? You have to participate in emperor worship. You have to take the mark of the beast. Now, it talks about the name being 666. And actually, if you take the name Emperor Nero or Caesar Nero, and in the the Jewish world and in the Greek world, uh, Greek and Hebrew letters were also their numbers. So every letter had a corresponding number with it, and then each uh, name... And each word could be, all the numbers could be added up. So if you take uh, Nero, Caesar, or Caesar Nero, I can't remember which order it is, which was one of the Roman emperors, the first one who really promoted worship of himself, and also who was killed, but some people believe would return from the dead, the fatal wound reference, all of these ideas are coming together that Christians and Romans thought that Nero might return and take vengeance on his leaders. And he represents this rebellion against God, and he represents this beast who's calling for your worship. So the number of the beast is simply people who want to do and take on the name of Nero, or they want to worship him to participate in the local government. But this is the scene that's going on. There's the dragon who appoints two beasts, the first one from the sea, the Roman emperor, and the second one from the land, probably local leaders. And what they do is promote the worship of the dragon. What they do is they promote worship of the emperor, and they call people away from following God. And they do this two ways. They first do it through counterfeit worship. Through counterfeit worship. So you think about the, anyone ever had those fake Oakley sunglasses or like a fake Rolex or something? They look so good, you can't even tell that they're fake. Except for they're made so poorly that the watches stop working after a week and the sunglasses, I mean, they look nice, but they're brittle. They're not near as nice as real Oakleys. But these counterfeit goods that are supposed to look like the real thing, but when you look really close, you realize it's nothing like it. This is how the dragon wants to gain our allegiance. He wants us to make, he wants to make us think that following him will be just as good as following God. But when we get into it, we realize that's not the case. And this is how the dragon wages war against us. And then for the people who don't buy into that, there's oppression. And that's talked about earlier in the passage when 
the people who John is writing to are warned to be prepared to be imprisoned, to be prepared to be exiled. But his warning is, if you continue to be strong, you should expect to be oppressed by the dragon and his beasts. But the beast's preferred method is counterfeit worship. And this is what we need to watch out for today. In the first century, counterfeit worship was about worshiping the emperor. Because the emperor tried to make all the claims that Jesus has made about himself. The emperor tried to say that he was the one who has saved the world from evil and brought peace and hope. He is the one who has given all of Rome wealth and prosperity. Now, how did the emperor do this? He did it through power and authority and waging war and oppressing people who reject him. That's the way of the dragon. But the pull is, as long as you submit to his way and get on the bandwagon, you're okay and you get rich. You have prosperity. You get to enjoy all the great things in life. Kind of sounds familiar. And now when we put on our Christian lenses and look at the world through these eyes, what we need to ask ourselves is, well, what does this look like today? You know, there's a lot of ways that the dragon offers us counterfeit worship. Addictions, political ideologies, government promises, Promises of the media and pop culture, materialism, the things we see in ads that bombard us everywhere. There's tons and tons of things that are trying to gain our allegiance. And this is how Satan does it, by pretending to be God, because he is the ultimate counterfeiter. But now this is what's dangerous, because the power of the counterfeiter is his resemblance to the real thing. And that's what we have to look out so hard for. Because if we look at this lens and we realize the dragon is trying to gain our allegiance and he does it through faking what we believe is good, the power of the counterfeiter is his resemblance to the real thing. And we're attracted to everything that Satan wants to sell us. And we've got to watch out. Because the power of the counterfeiter is his resemblance, to the, his resemblance to the real thing. He promises everything we ever wanted, but when we get what we want, we still feel empty. We still want more. Because he tries to show us that if we worship the things he's offering us and give him our allegiance, that means we will be fulfilled. But really, it's a lie. The power of the counterfeiter is his resemblance to the real thing. So if we're going to think Christianly, we need to realize that every action we make is either an act of worship of God in a way of following the way of Jesus, or it's an action of worship towards Satan and following the way of the world. Are we going to follow the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or are we going to follow the unholy trinity of the dragon and the two beasts as they try to counterfeit God. We're called to worship God alone. 
So what we need to do is be on look for counterfeits. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and we look at this heavy passage that shows us so much about our human souls, our way of life. As we see, one, that there's been victory already over the power of Satan, may we find hope in that. May we be able to see that our perseverance in the face of oppression is worth it because we know you've already won. May we be on the lookout for his false offerings of hope as he tries to gain our worship and our allegiance as followers of him instead of as followers of you. May we be able to expose the way of the world for what it is. May we see it for the lies that it promotes. And may we continue to be committed to following your Son and living the way of Jesus and offering worship to the one God alone who deserves our worship. And Heavenly Father, we ask this in your name, in the name of your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.